had some thoughts after reading the book Intellectuals, and it's sort of just a hodgepodge of ideas. I have a lot of quotes I saved out too, but that would be way too long of a note to to do to try to say all those quotes. But you know, some of the major ideas I got out of the book is that you know the problem could be with intellectuals. Well, the problem that they create is a scale of their ideas. As they try to change and rewrite the world, they lose their ability to care about individuals. And that's played out over and over through different intellectuals. And then they want the truth to be their truth. You know, the truth that they discovered or cultivated needs to be the real truth. Another point is intellectuals don't have principles or stand on them if they do have them. And trying to figure out why, you know, is the ego and rules for the people but not themselves. That nothing becomes real after going so far into the abstract and therefore norms don't matter. Or so many of them are posturing about not being emotional and yet they're subject to them nonetheless. And I find it funny how many people use that about not being emotional and yet they fall prey to them anyways. You know, and could it be that it's better to enlist the help of them and harness emotions instead of denying them altogether? Um, another thought is maybe people preach most and with the most conviction about the greatest issues they have as a coping mechanism to absolve themselves of any transgressions past or future, almost as a way to cure themselves of what ails them. You know, they seem to lack moral fiber and yet preach from a high moral position and they play fast and loose with the truth and twist it to fit their ends could this be blinding ego or blinding righteousness you know and even if you're fighting for what you're preaching against with the same methods can you justify that to yourself you know is it possible they absolve themselves of reason because they believe they are fighting for just causes and the ends justify the means you know, another intriguing thing about many of the intellectuals in the book is that they want people to move but don't have a strong destination for them to move towards. You know, they like the idea of, a, of movement but don't cast a vision to channel that movement. They often seem to end up as a rebel without a cause. You know, they also possess a need to fit in and for personal praise like all people do, but it could be their ego that causes their need to be thrust into public light because so many were strong self-promoters and wanted to be in that limelight another funny thing is the degree of certainty that they discuss subjects is astounding often on ones that they merely heard about or read lightly about you know going back to something interesting about people being in the limelight it seems like suddenly everything they do is gold. And it doesn't matter what era, but you know, just using modern day, they put out cooking ideas and people flock to them, fitness plans and relationship advice. And I'm not saying that what they're sharing couldn't be relevant. It's almost that people don't want to take the time to gather and curate information from multiple influence or influencers. And so the default to the one that they identify with 
you know, why go out and study 10 people when you can listen to one? But that's some of the broad thoughts I had on the intellectuals book. And then my quotes are also attached. Well, Brother 12, this is an extraordinary list of quotes. Um, I'm going to have to read Paul Johnson's book on intellectuals. I mean, it reminds me a lot of uh, Thomas Sowell. He, he warned about the intellectual class. And something he talks about is the problem with intellectuals is there's really no way to test their ideas. And he makes the point that if some intellectual comes with, up with a theory of how society organizes and we try it and it fails, there's no consequences for that intellectual often. But if an engineer makes a bridge and the bridge falls... Uh, there are very real consequences. It can be sued, and there's like this objective reality to confirm that the engineer's idea of the bridge did not work. But with intellectuals, you can always claim, well, the people just didn't follow the ideas right, or they were very good ideas, but you know, people just didn't do them right. So the intellectual can always put the burden of failure on the public, on other people. And I think that contributes to egotism. You know, this kind of idea, that this, this really interesting issue of why do our, all of these people so prone to follow their ideas at the expense of people. And it reminds me a lot of what David Hume warned about with autonomous rationality. And what he said is that ultimately at the end of the day, the intellectual life, the philosophical journey must return and embed itself in a common life. Because if it did not, um, then the ideas for one were never tested. Two, they would always try to make the world in light of the ideas. And the thing is, I guess it also, the the thing is that ideas can always, you know, if someone's smart enough, they can always come up with an internally consistent system of ideas. And what I mean by that is a system of ideas that entail no internal contradiction, that, does, that doesn't have to necessarily fail. And in that being the case, the very fact that the system is intellectually, uh, in, in internally consistent will give reason to think that the system is valid and that therefore should be tried. But then, of, of course, if reality does not, exercise the system properly, you have two choices. Either A, say the system is wrong, or two, say the world is wrong, that it's not following the system correctly. And very often what intellectuals will do is because they're in they're um you know they're in they're in they're embedded in the system, they're invested in the system, they don't want to admit it's wrong. And also, hey, maybe it is the case that people just didn't listen to it correctly. Or maybe it just needs slight adjustments, not to be thrown out entirely. So you can always come up with reasons to try again to do something different. And and I think also there's the problem of the fact that technology has indeed made our lives better. And the fact technology has makes us think that, therefore, ideas have made our life better. And here's the thing. Um, technology is more of, and well, and in thinking that, we're more willing to give autonomous rationality a try. We're willing to experiment with these um, systems by which to live our lives uh, because we think, well, if technology's gotten us so far, we should try these new ideologies. But you see, the thing is, technology doesn't really improve because people one day wake up and they're smarter. Technology improves by trial and error, by a bunch of mistakes, and we figure out how to do it right. But technology gives us the illusion that we're smarter, and because we think we're smarter, we're then therefore willing to try. Uh, we're, well, we're therefore willing to think that we are can succeed at these different ideas. And what's interesting with Hume is uh, what he what he kind of warns is that when you don't have ideas grounded in a common life, then then at the end of the day, it's just going to be violence. And he kind of predicted the French Revolution and all the totalitarianism of the 20th century, all of which are trying to make common lives 
um, they're trying to totalize them in light of systems of ideas. And there's just a ton of unintentional consequences of that. So I think David Hume is really good. I wrote a paper, Deconstructing Common Life, um, that I think kind of is asking why do intellectuals, well, it kind of addresses, I guess, why intellectuals end up this way. And I think a lot of it is because they ascribe to autonomous rationality, the belief that you can have a system of rationality that is rational all the way down. But you see, the problem is that rationality is ultimately, or intelligence or all these things, are ultimately defined as themselves relative to a truth. If I think it's going to rain today, it becomes rational to bring an umbrella, but what if it doesn't rain? Well, I was still rational, I was just wrong. And it's not, you see, here's the thing, if what I believe is true is what determines what is rational, then I cannot assent to truth on purely rational terms. I have to assent to it based on probability, on emotion, on gut, all these other things. It's just simply not possible to have rationality all the way down. You know, the phrase, you know, turtles all the way down. Well, it's not possible to have rationality all the way down for a system to be what's called totally axiomatic. But the thing is, if you acknowledge that as the intellectual, then in, then intelligence isn't all it's cracked up to be, and you don't want to admit that uh, because you're really good at intelligence. So you would hate to admit that intelligence is not all it's cracked to be. And hey, maybe it's just um, maybe it's just that we haven't found yet how to uh, establish autonomous rationality. So we keep trying. We um, and we have to be, you know, the intellectual has to be confident they can accomplish that. And so then you get overconfidence, and then violence. Uh, all of the horrible totalizing um, in totalizing and totalitarianism in the vision of that autonomous reasoning that has all the horrible unintended consequences. So, so anyway, this is just marvelous work. Brother 12, I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing. Mr. Garner, I got your voice message and a couple of thoughts I had to reply to what you had said, and I had written these as I was listening to your message. Now, it's been several days since I've listened to it, but um, what I had started to write down was that you can't use rational ideas to explain something irrational because we, as people, do things all the time that don't make sense. If you tried to rationalize every action of a human being, it's an impossible task. And I like the idea of comparing thinking theories and engineering theories and that engineering theories can be tested and there's immediate consequences because it is interesting. <clears throat> so many things that happened in the 20th century, theories that people put out were sort of social engineering and they did test and play out at the expense of millions of people. But what makes it interesting is why are people still pursuing those ideas? Because, you know, if those ideas would constitute progress, then I think it's also worth exploring the nature of human progress because if that is the ultimate aim of some system or system of ideas then we need to make sure that we're agreeing you know if this is to be human progress well then what is ideal human progress 
I don't think it's an easy, it may be an easy question to answer. I've, I have thought about it before. Um, I'm trying to actually have some notes on that. So yeah, I have, on my notes, you know, I've got some general ones. Is it to minimize suffering, maximize happiness? You know, but you can't get rid of all pain and failure. At least I don't think you should because those are necessary human emotions that give us other things and take us other directions. Um, is it anything that builds up or expands innately human um, experiences that progress? Things that add to or enable human ends, you know, expanding creativity, expanding our capacity to love, you know, building the strength of will. I think those are all very human qualities and is human progress to maximize and expand those qualities in humanity. You know, expanding what makes us human to become better versions. And so, you know, are you trying to maximize positive traits versus quote unquote negative traits? And I don't know if there are truly, I had this thought too, that I don't know if there's truly negative traits just need to be applied in specific situations and circumstances. But in saying all that, the other thought I had written down while listening to your voice response, one of the things that fails with so many systems is that everyone gets a say, everyone gets some sort of vote. You know, it's impossible to control everything and rationality won't reign supreme because if you can come up with the ideal thing to pursue and just throwing a, say a profession out there, say being a doc, doctor is the best thing to pursue, you know, great pay benefits, altruism, but to say, if that is the top ideal everyone pursue that well not everyone can be a doctor you know it doesn't make sense to have everyone being a doctor and not only that you know there are in normal society a limited number of spots to be doctors and so right there you know everyone else gets a vote in who becomes that doctor because anyone can be anything but not everyone could be everything and so there are certain constraints on what is practical or reasonable in society. And maybe that's what so many of the intellectuals were trying to solve. But is it because their ideals of human progress don't match up with what is or should be held up as human progress? I don't know, it's a, I have had that one on my list of ideas to think about and podcast about for a real long time, and I still haven't been to, been able to fully distill that one down. There is a interesting 
side piece of that though is trying to build technology and other systems that align with human needs and that those probably do better and they should be, you know, exemplifying or moving humans to progress. But again, trying to define what is human progress is not a, it's not an easy definitional problem. And again, could it be part of why so many systems of ideas failed in the 20th century? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thought and I'd be curious to hear what you think about all that too. Oh, Brother 12, Mr. Bartley, how delightful it is to hear your voice. Um, I really appreciated the reply. If you'd like to do that podcast idea, I'm all down for it. I think that's wonderful, that sort of back-and-forth discussion. I think discussions are inherently more engaging anyway, um, as opposed to these podcast monologues. And I think you get new ideas um, in that dialectical structure, uh, more likely to get new ideas uh and that are that are useful. So I'm all about that. Um, I think you're exactly right that we can't rationalize everything people do because a lot of what people do is irrational. And therefore, if you have to rationalize everything to make it meaningful, um, then you will not have room in your schema for the majority of human action, which would make your schema quite useless. Uh, this is also why assuming that the market is always rational is problematic because um, even though there's a kind of rationalism to the person operating on emotions, uh, there's a kind of rationalism to the um, person operating by fear, a kind of reasoning, um, it doesn't necessarily follow that it's always best or that it's intellectually rational. So though I suppose we could say the market is always rational in a sense, it's not always right, and what it does is not always best. And this again is alluding to the problem of the conflation of rational and best, rational and true, which um, does not follow at all uh, and has been... I think it's a hangover, a leftover of the Enlightenment that's proven very problematic, that we just assume that if it's rational, it is therefore good. Um, but I really like the point you're making, that you, you look, if, I mean, the majority of what people do is irrational, and if the only, it's like wearing a pair of glasses that sees everything as red, you know, it's red lens glasses. If you wear a pair of glasses by which you're able to only see the world in rational terms, then most people will be invisible to you. You will not see them uh, because, and you certainly won't be able to comprehend the world around you because your glasses won't let you see it because of the tint of it. Uh, so I think that's very good. Um, the, the, the next thing you're getting at on the question of what is progress, that's huge. That's massive. That's, that is why. Um, these massive um, uh, techno, I guess that would be Heidegger, techni projects to, you know, these um, instrumental projects, instrumental reason, these projects of where we go, oh, this is what is best for human beings, X, and therefore we're going to engineer a society for X. The reason that's so problematic is you cannot establish that X variable uh, because there are too many things of which could um, constitute progress and that to one person is... Health is the ultimate good to another person. Education is the ultimate good um, to the next person. Religious devotion is the ultimate good. And all of these things are, in fact, good. So how do you rank a hierarchy in which you determine that X is better than Y and therefore society should primarily be engineered for X when um, what constitutes the best is probably relative to the individual. For one person, health is um, the, the best thing. For another individual of a different kind of um, personality, 
thinking or education is superior and so on and so forth. So you cannot establish a universal standard of progress. But the, but the intellectual really doesn't want to believe that because if that's the case, then the intellectual can't establish a supreme good and ultimate concern to use that tillich language and then engineer and then solve the problem of how to get the society there if you can't have a final variable that um the, that you're reaching toward then you can't make a system there's no possibility of a system if there's no agreed upon answer or answer that everyone can agree upon if reached in theory uh you have to assume that what constitutes progress is a solid variable for everyone but it's not uh, you and you, it, it's simply not. Um, people people want and desire different things, and so that's one of the ultimate fallacies. And if that is the case, then then the then the best socioeconomic structure is one of freedom in which people can pursue their happiness. Uh, that phrase in pursuit of happiness it's it's quite unfortunate that the the term happiness is understood there to be conditional relative to the individual and also the word comes from happenstance like pursue their chance and we've lost that as well um so you really just want a system where people can pursue happiness as they define it not have happiness defined for them by someone else and um and then the society be made for them to realize it that then then in that certain situation they can people cannot pursue happiness they are engineered for happiness they are engineered to happiness and that's a problem because it's it's not possible and the happiness becomes something out of brave new world quite quickly it becomes a totalitarian pleasure quite quickly um and lastly the point you're making on if uh, it, it feeds into the last point on if the ultimate goal is to be a doctor, there's a limited number of spots and resources, so not everyone can do that. And that's exactly right. It's, that's the other problem with defining the ultimate um, goal and trying to instrument, uh, instrument, use instrumental rationality to direct society to that goal. Because if X is limited in any way whatsoever, well, we have a problem. And there's no way to resolve it without conflict. And I think... That also hints at why um, instrumental rationality gives you the totalitarian movements of the 20th century, as um, understood by Holkheimer, I suppose, and Orderno. Um, so all, everything you're bringing out is, is really um, very key, and I think it's very astute, and I really uh, enjoy listening to it. Thank you, sir. Mr. Garner, in thinking about your last message, you know, it did pop in my head that a system needs to allow a way or a system needs a way to allow all types of progress. You know, if there is, if it is relative, then whatever system exists needs to be, needs to allow for that variability. And I do like the idea of freedom to pursue happiness. And when you talked about happenstance, that was something new to me, I had not heard that root definition before, but I do like that better than happiness because I'm not a fan of happiness as an aim in life in the first place. And I'm not against happiness or joy. I think it is vital to, to people to have happiness, but it's not a bearing to guide your ship by, so to speak. And I think the other reason the idea of pursuing chance intrigues me is that People should be free to pursue meaning and that there's no guarantee in that pursuit. You know, and chance is something broader than happiness. 
you, know, you can make your own luck and make your own way as opposed to happiness feels more like a destination, so to speak. Um, and then thinking about, you know, limits that exist and yeah, they create conflict and we need the structure of society to allow people's pursuit of, you know, their happenstance to be multidimensional or, you know, not be singled out. You know, I don't know how many we, we pin down in society that we say these are good things to do, but it's, I imagine it's a very small, narrow window we give people. And then like the other thing too, is that whatever games are set up that they shouldn't be rigged and that anyone has the freedom to enter, but that there are multiple games or ladders operating simultaneously. And I've, <clears throat> I can't remember who I was listening to recently. Oh, it was an audiobook. And the guy who draws the Dilbert comics, he was saying that even if you aren't talented enough on one dimension, if you are good enough in multiple, you can create your own, your own track. You know, he is not a great artist, but he's better than most. He's not the funniest guy in the world, but he's funny enough. And you can combine those to create something new, something different than just being a comic or just being an artist. And so that allows him to create his own game to play that is has much limited, much more limited pool of people and allows him to rise to the top of that. But I think part of it is too, just making sure that other games are recognized as being worthy of being played in the first place. I think it still comes back to, you know, progress being relative or are there universal aims and universal goods? But it's definitely something I want to continue exploring because I don't think this is something that is resolved in one day of thinking or even one week of thinking. You know, I think there are big ideas that take months or even years because the things you have to learn along the way to even begin to understand the question before you can even formulate an answer need to happen. But this has been very enjoyable so far doing these back and forth ideas. Thank you again for the wonderful email, uh, Brother Bartley, Mr. Great Stone Dragon. I, I enjoyed your reflection quite a bit. And I enjoy everything you have here on the potential for a podcast idea. I really, I really like the material. I think something uh, like this would be a lot of fun if you want to do it. Uh, just something we can do casually, uh, reflect on the ideas. I like the idea of uh, recording something, send it to the next person thinking about it. I think that's very, very nice. Um, oh, I, I am all in on your skepticism of the belief of the idea that the point of life is happiness, is to be happy. Um, I don't think you can do anything heroic if you believe that, because because often to achieve something noble and meaningful, you have to go through periods of being unhappy. You have to work. Um, and, and if somebody by happiness means the happiness that is only found in nobility, I guess. But it's just a dangerous term. Um, I mean, what's interesting about the idea that it was linked with happenstance, it really was the idea that unless you live a life where you try to do something 
heroic, noble, take a chance, that you can't be happy, um, that happiness is only found. So, you know, if we, if we still held that idea, that happiness is found in taking a chance, in seeking something heroic, well, then happiness wouldn't be such a poisonous value. But unfortunately, now happiness is something your environment does to you. It is not something you create for yourself. Um, I, I think it's like happiness is found in comfort and ease. It's an environmental factor. So if you think the point of life is to be happy, then the point of life is to create an environment of comfort. And of course, that that's poison that that kills the soul. Um, so uh, paradoxically, when you focus more on happenstance, taking a chance, you get a deeper, deeper happiness. I think it's that C.S. Lewis notion of if you put first things first, you get second things also. Um, so no, I'm all in on the idea that um, the point of life is not to be happy, that that is uh, too impoverished of a notion. Um, I also really liked what you ended on, on this idea that these ans these questions take years to answer because you have to go through years of experiences to even be able to formulate the questions, let alone the answers that that frankly, even asking the questions right, the prerequisite for answering the questions right is to live a life, um, to have experiences. Uh, that reminds me of David Hume's emphasis on the importance of common life, as we've already discussed. Uh, and I think that also is very nice because it suggests that the limits of one's intellectual life are set by their experiences in the life that you that they live. That that our lives are the limits of our minds, that our experiences are the limits of our minds. And I think that's kind of a lush concept, so I really like where you lended into that on. But but anyway, just thought I would send something over. If you want to try to put these together into a, that we've done on this discussion to a podcast um, uh, episode, that would be quite interesting. No pressure, of course, and no hurry, uh, but I've enjoyed this a lot. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bartley. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoyed it a lot.